Hey, it's Victoria from Team Girlboss, and I have some exciting news. We made our very own deck of affirmations. We wanted to create a tangible, useful tool to help our community navigate their workday with emotional intelligence. Stuck on a problem? Just made a huge mistake? Buzzing with creativity but unsure how to harness it? There's a card in this deck that can guide your thoughts, soothe your worries, and encourage your dreams. And it wouldn't be a Girlboss product launch if there wasn't a giveaway. Five lucky winners will be the first to get their hands on our workplace affirmation deck. Head to the link in the description to enter. The giveaway closes on March 16th, 2023 at 11.59 p.m. EST. Yes, literally in two days. Good luck. Welcome back to season two of Girlboss Radio. I'm your host, Avery. I'm the founder and CEO of Bloom, a workplace design consultancy on a mission to build work that works for everyone. Today, I'm joined by Jamie Pandit. Jamie is a Bangladeshi Canadian content creator, model, and trans activist with an impressive resume. She has over 8 million likes on TikTok. She's a fashion expert on the Canadian talk show City Line. And last year, she was part of the Sephora Squad, an annual beauty influencer program dedicated to celebrating diverse creators. I came across a reel of hers when she shared her experience with having a strange family and friends putting pressure on her to support them financially. She's being so vulnerable and honest. I remember doing my makeup and being brought to tears listening to her story. Jamie came out as trans at 16, but hid her identity until she was 32. Now she's living her life unapologetically free on social media. We chatted about living in stealth, creating the community she never had growing up, and how her definition of success is ever evolving. Let's get into it. Hello, Jamie. How are you doing today? Hi, I'm doing okay. Not having the best day or week, but I'm here. Hi. <laughs> I, I've been hearing that a lot lately. So if you don't mind me asking, like, what has you feeling out of sorts? I think I'm just a little overworked and overwhelmed which I feel bad even complaining about and something I'm so grateful for. Just still working, showing up online, showing up for others, showing up for myself. It's hard, but I'm just trying to be patient with myself. Thank you so much for your vulnerability. I think that I've definitely had to record a podcast or show up to work on days that I haven't felt like my best. But what's interesting is oftentimes when I look back on those days with specifically podcasts, it's like I can actually listen back to that podcast and be like, wow, I did all right, considering how I was feeling that day. Like I knew that I had like either a really hard conversation with like a colleague or had a really hard conversation with a client like that I was like going to have later on that afternoon, but I still moved through the podcast. And I'm not saying that do the work, even though you're not feeling your best, but I think that sometimes we're unaware of what we're capable of, right? We don't give ourselves enough credit. I think it's just doing it. So for example, this today I have to film a sponsored content and I didn't think I would be able to do it. I got ready, did my hair, filmed the content, and it was done within like 45 minutes of filming. And it made me feel so happy. Yesterday, I got ready, tried to film. It took me six hours to even say one word and I couldn't even speak. That's how terrible my anxiety was. And then today, like it worked and I felt so accomplished. And then now within, you know, talking to you here, I was so nervous, but I also know that Once I do do this, it's going to make me feel better after. I just know it. 
You'll definitely feel better afterwards. And even as we move through this conversation, you're going to feel better. I don't know if you ever heard this, but I have a business coach that I used to work with and she'd always be like, how do you eat an elephant? (laughs) You don't eat the whole elephant all at once. You eat it at like small bites at a time. And I don't know, I like to eat. So I think that I could relate to that concept. I would never eat a whole cake on all in one bite. Like I'm a cartoon character. It's like, you know, a slice at a time. (laughs) I think that that's like kind of what we have to apply to, you know, work or, you know, when we do like the hard thing. So anyway, I really appreciate you joining us at Girl Boss Radio today. I've been dying to have this conversation. I first came aware of your content and just like your existence probably about a couple of years ago now. I just have always appreciated your vulnerability. And I know that how you show up, changes a lot of people's lives. And I imagine that this podcast episode is not going to be any different. So it is so difficult to talk about these different experiences. We would all just feel so much more together if we just shared these little moments of life. I totally agree. I actually want to reflect on you as young Jamie. (laughs) So you moved to Canada from Bangladesh at 11. And I read somewhere that you always knew that you were different. I'm curious, what made you feel that way? Yeah, so it's it's difficult to say that I knew I was different at like two years of age, but it wasn't a surprise to my parents when I did come out as trans at 15. I guess they've always knew there was something different about me, but you know, from a very young age, I was always very feminine. I used to be gravitated towards like, my mom's saris and lehengas. And I wanted to put like nail polish all over my face and play with makeup. I was just drawn to like Barbies. I used to be very creative in a sense. I used to draw pictures and, you know, put on dresses and my Minnie Mouse and things like that. So I knew that I was different because for some reason I had to cut my hair short like boys and I would throw up a fit. And then I had like a boy name. And it didn't make sense to me because knew I was a girl. It was just very confusing. And then moving into like being a teenager and then moving to a new country, like I just think that that's so overwhelming. So what was it like for you to move to Toronto as a preteen? I tried so hard to like fit in as the button down shirts and cut my hair short, dyed my hair, which was really in back then, you know, the highlights. and. I tried so hard to to be a boy, essentially, but it just didn't make sense for me. And I have a sister who's older and you know, she was pretty. She was popular. Everyone loved her. So it was hard to like be brown, be an immigrant and people making fun of me because of my skin color. But then also people calling me the F word, calling me gay and all these things because I was feminine. I mean, we're going to talk about this later, but navigating multiple intersections of how you might face discrimination, that's a challenging thing for like anyone to face, even as an adult. That's super, super challenging. I'm curious, like what did preteen Jamie aspire to be when you were like, and I say quote unquote, grew up, because I know we're always evolving and growing and becoming. It's interesting because I guess preteen me always wanted to be a model or a fashion designer, like I would draw designs of just like all these dramatic gowns and clothing. And I feel like that part of me still exists now as a 34-year-old woman. Like it's so interesting. But that was always my dream to be in the fashion, beauty world. 
but then part of me also wanted to be a doctor because, you know, when you're in a brown family, if you're not a doctor, an accountant, or don't have those credible identities, then you're kind of nothing. It's so interesting, but I'm curious, like when you had fantasized about becoming like a model or a fashion designer, when you had those visions, what did it look like? Well, even before, like I came out to my parents, I tried, I think on the outside to be like this boy, like at school. But when I was home in my room, I would create almost like a space around me, like a like on the couch. And it'd be like, I, I still remember like a, like a fort almost. And I would sit there and play with my dolls. And I would envision like me, like strutting, like with my dress on. I was living in my fantasy as me, as Jamie, as a woman, as 12, 13, 14, 50 year old. But as soon as like I came out of that fort that I would create with my pillows on the couch, I would go back to being not Jamie. Interesting. So this fort was like your safe space to like manifest and dream. So was we Jamie like a little manifestation queen or like? (laughs) I guess so. Like I always dreamt about a life and I always have this drive and determination that no matter what, like it's going to happen. It's just going to happen. I don't know how, but it's going to happen. And that's just how I think I've also gotten to where I am in life now. Like nothing can stop me. Yeah, I definitely feel that. I have this very strong sense of things will work out the strength, like almost like I can describe it as like a fire in my belly that like, I don't know, I'm going to get to where I'm going. When I was 16 and I ran away from home, I was homeless and I lived in a shelter. I was so naive, like I didn't even know like, the things I experienced, no child should have experienced being on the street or being homeless. But I think rummaging through these garbage bags to find like a pretty outfit and putting it on made me feel like it was my armor and then I can survive that day. Or putting on a little bit of makeup just made me feel like, okay, I'm not taking hormones yet. I don't have any proper health care, but just putting this makeup on just made me feel pretty. And I know this is not going to be my life. It's going to work out. And honestly, even now, whenever I have really bad days, I'm not trying not to cry. Sorry. I think about that moment at the shelter or just like on the streets. Like I got through that and I, and it, and it worked out and it's always going to work out. You're getting me all teared up too. I just can't imagine how someone could navigate themselves out of that type of predicament. Do you feel comfortable sharing how you went from that situation to gaining access to housing and I was only 16 when I became homeless and then while I was living there I stayed at the women's part of the shelter nobody knew that I was trans except maybe the person that did the intake and then I was there for like almost half a year like for a while I didn't want to leave because I didn't feel safe going back home but there were death threats when people found out that I was trans. So police had to like literally escort me, be like, you cannot stay at this shelter anymore. You have to leave or go back home. So I had to go back home. That's really scary. And I think that a lot of people have a lot of assumptions around folks that are in shelters, people that don't have home security, people that are houseless. They have assumptions that it is a result of 
poor money management or not having a job or being lazy. And the other cases, it has deep relation, especially when it comes to youth, to people being displaced or banned from their homes as a result of not abiding to or relating to their family's expectations. And this disproportionately impacts trans youth. The thing with my parents too, like it wasn't because they didn't like kick me out of the house or anything like that. It was one of those things like if I didn't leave home, I would have either hurt myself or I wouldn't be able to start my transition process. I would have just been too scared and not done anything. It pushed me to just living full time as Jamie. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, and that was going to be my next question. I read an article where you described yourself as living in stealth mode in the past. And what does living in stealth mode mean to you? Like, I'd love to kind of better understand. So basically, I've lived in stealth since I was 16 till 32. So just two years ago when I came out publicly. And what that basically meant for me was that so when I came out to my parents, I still wasn't comfortable to fully live as myself. So this is dangerous what I did, but basically I would leave home wearing boy clothes. I hate saying it like that because it just sounds so gendered, but sure, wearing boy clothes, presenting as not Jamie because I was still pretending to be a boy. And then when I would leave, I would take the subway, take the bus, whatever, go to a subway station, go to the men's washroom and then change to women's clothing. So imagine how dangerous that is if a man saw me in the washroom changing, coming out in a dress. And then I would go downtown, be me. I'm still in stealth, but I'm now like presenting as Jamie. So I was doing that for a while just so I could get more comfortable with myself. But because like I was talking about how being transgender I didn't even know what that meant at first. But when I realized what that word meant, there was so much negative connotation attached to that word and so many terrible stereotypes. I didn't want to be transgender. I just wanted to be a cisgender woman and pass as a cisgender woman. So everything in my body tried to fight being trans and did everything to pass, whether it be talking feminine, wearing heels, wearing these dresses, like what 17 year old is wearing high heels to school? Like that's what I thought being a woman meant, right? But I just did everything to basically pass and live up to these expectations of what it means to be a woman from 16 till 34. As a black woman, although different, I understand what it feels like to be vigilant with how you're showing up so you can manage people's perception of you. And I mean, ultimately, we have so little control over how people perceive us. But what you're talking about, just for folks that are listening in, is what we refer to as hypervigilance. It's a trauma response that people oftentimes usually engage in. You kind of refer to it as like your armor, but it is, it's a form of protection. What kind of child is wearing like high heels to school? Like the one that's really working hard to protect themselves, right? And to assimilate. It's Victoria from Team Girlboss. I hope you're loving season two so far. I just wanted to pop in to talk about Girlboss Daily, our must-read morning newsletter with over 200,000 dedicated subscribers. What can you expect? A-plus career advice, dream job postings, free coffee every Friday, and a few emojis, because we're fun like that, all delivered right to your inbox. 
sign up by heading to girlboss.com slash newsletter. That's girlboss.com slash newsletter. See you tomorrow. You're listening to my conversation with Jamie. Next up, Jamie talks about why she doesn't always feel successful. Let's get back into it. I know that you and I have talked about this and I want to get to that part of the conversation because I know it it deeply impacted your ability to work. So I want to get to the element of your work and how this all kind of ties in. So currently you are a full-time content creator, but before you were a full-time content creator, you actually managed a fashion boutique, which I think is so aligned with who you are. (laughs) Not surprised at all. Um, Now, did you feel like you could be your authentic self in that space? We have to go back in time a little bit and talk about this because my name wasn't always Jamie. My IDs did not change till a year and a half after my gender affirming surgery. So back then, if you didn't have gender affirming surgery, you weren't able to change your gender markers for IDs. So I had to really navigate that to find a job. So at 16, my first job, I presented as me, but then I had to make up a lie just to, again, survive, to pay for my hormones, to pay for feminine things for myself and lied about my name, the gender marker, made up some BS about how when I moved to Canada, Canadian government like messed it up. I don't know. But obviously they found out that that's not the case and I got kicked out of my job. That was uh, my first experience working in retail. So I was like, okay, well, this didn't work. I have to try something else. So soon after that, I did have my name officially changed. So that helped because now only my social insurance would have the gender market, which, you know, employers necessarily wouldn't see unless maybe someone's in HR. I don't know. So then when I moved to a different city to basically start a new life, just as Jamie, where no one would know me. And again, for safety. I've worked in retail and hell no, I would never be myself or really let people in. Like I kind of played this, I don't know how to say this, ditzy fashion girl, just so that people wouldn't be more curious to get to know me. My recent job before I started becoming a full-time content creator, I definitely did not feel comfortable sharing my identity. But I also found out that I guess Somehow word got around that people knew and like head office and the HR department, which we didn't really have. And there was like a whole group bullying me and basically outing me. Wow. Okay. So what I'm hearing is that you were working in this fashion boutique. Someone had outed you and then collectively gathered. And there was a group of people that were talking about intimate parts of your identity. And a group chat in a group chat. And then this led you to having to come out publicly? Essentially, yeah. For like almost a year, people were talking about me by my back and I had no idea. And it makes me so upset that I tried so hard to keep it all a secret for so many years. And then with this job, I thought I was, again, doing a good job, hiding it. Had I known that these people already knew I could have relieved myself from all that anxiety and all that pretending and all the acting like so much longer. I could have felt freer. I just think about the possibilities, how it could have been different if I just knew what was happening behind my back. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, coming out for folks that aren't aware of this is an important process that is different for everyone. They took that away from you, which was that was yours to craft and to lead. LGBTQ plus people don't need to come out. They don't owe that to anybody. If you want to live in stealth, you live in stealth. You don't need to talk to anybody about it. For me, since I've been sharing my journey online and, you know, my dating experiences, experiences at work a little bit, there's so much pressure from these strangers being like, you need to tell people you're trans right away. People don't realize that, especially at that time, I wouldn't be able to have a normal quote-unquote job if I did live my life as a brown transgender woman. I wouldn't have. It's just the reality. Most trans women, even to this day, are not lucky or have that privilege to find regular jobs. Like it's very difficult. I want to be careful to not speak on the experiences of trans folks. But I think that for me, as someone that attempts and tries to engage in acts of allyship towards the trans community often, I think the assumption is, is that we live in this progressive world now and that everyone's more liberal and more accepting. But what we're seeing is that trans folks are experiencing violence at accelerated and increased rates. And that in itself is enough of a motivator to not necessarily hide, but protect that part of your identity because you are inherently protecting yourself. And there are so many policies and laws and bills being proposed every single day in the state. We could talk about this all day. I think I was really interested in kind of exploring how it impacted your work. It's kind of looking back at Jamie that was working in the fashion boutique. What self-preservation advice would you give to your past self who is navigating bullying and discrimination at work? I wish I had the voice to speak up because I remember I did call head office just explaining how there's a group talking about me and I don't know what to do. And they were wanting me to elaborate on that, but I did not even have the words or the confidence to say that I am transgender and this is what's happening and I don't know what to do. Like my safety is at risk because I am not ready for people around me to find this information. I just wouldn't have felt safe to go to work. I wouldn't have. I wish I had the voice. And I wish there were tools, not just one paper about diversity and inclusion, <laughs> one sheet of paper in our booklet. Don't get me started on that. I want to lean into something a little bit lighter because you are a brilliant creator. You have me on the edge of my seat all the time. What inspired you to become a digital creator? I think it all started with Instagram. And I think a lot of it came from because I was hiding my identity, I didn't feel seen. So I was showing anybody who was following me just little parts of my life. And it wasn't just about the pretty pictures and like, look at my outfit or posing with the glass and like having a drink and looking off to the sunset. Like it wasn't about that. It was about the caption and the message. Cause I feel like I always wanted to inspire and empower people in some shape or form. So I started doing like little things. And then I guess what really started my content creation journey was my coming out video. And it's interesting that you say your content is kind of like your archive. Like it is because when I watch my videos from like two years ago, some of it is so cringe. It's like, oh my gosh, like I sound so weird or like, what was I wearing? And to see like my growth now and the confidence too, it makes me feel really empowered. I have the exact same experience. I look back at old content 
I have a post specifically that went mega, mega viral in 2020. And it is littered with spelling errors and mistakes. Like I had 5,000 people at the time that were following me. And then that post brought me to, I think it was 80 or 90,000 followers overnight. It was wild. That has like 3 million views, 300,000 likes. And it's like probably the worst piece of writing, not in terms of content, but like spelling and grammatical errors. It's horrific. It's so funny because I think I know where I was at at that time. I was just so enraged and angry about what was going on politically at the time that I was like, I didn't even care. I was like, I just need to get this off my chest because I was just, I was livid. I feel this pressure of, it's like some days I just want to talk about beauty and fashion. And maybe some days I want to talk about my experiences because I know it's important. But there is this like level of the spokesperson of all the trans folks in the world. We're not a monolith. We all have different experiences. and. I'm just one part of the group. Even when I'm out and about, sometimes I see people like whispering, oh, that's Jamie, she's trans. Like, it's just really weird seeing like salespeople talk about me while I'm like shopping. Like, can I just not be just Jamie who's shopping today? We collectively carry the burden of not having a lot of representation. Oftentimes when you are the only or you are from a historically marginalized community that is underrepresented, of course, there's going to be more emphasis on you carrying that burden. Most brands that I've worked with, I'm like the first trans person that they've worked with. And these things I'm so proud of, but also it makes me feel sometimes so lonely, like going on brand trips, going on different panels, going to just doing things. Like I'm the only one. I can't find that sense of home or connection with another person who is trans. And it it is sometimes really disheartening. It's on brands and organizations to make sure that there's more representation, right? And if that means that you spend a little bit more budget because you're inviting more people and holding more space for people to participate, then do it. If that means perhaps taking a chance on a lesser known or supported creator, then do that. The people with the majority of the power and privilege should be opening those doors and pulling us up into those spaces and inviting us to the brand trips and all that kind of stuff. They will use me to talk about their product and be part of the campaign, but they will never repost me or really talk about transgender awareness and issues, not just during Pride, but for Trans Visibility Day or Trans Awareness Week, because they're so afraid that talking about my identity is going to make them lose their followers, but then they're okay with my community from my platform being like, oh my God, this brand's inclusive because they're working with Jamie. I'm definitely smarter and more vigilant when it comes to these things this year. So what do you love most about what you do? I think for me, it's connecting with community, just talking, sharing our experiences and connecting with other trans folk. I literally feel like they're auntie, like I'm not even joking. Like that's how it came about because all these young trans folk come to me for advice. And, you know, I try my best to obviously answer in an objective way, but it's just so nice to be able to connect. And even, you know, just cisgender folks finding some sort of inspiration with my content, you know, people saying things like, I left my abusive boyfriend just seeing you finding love, or I wore this outfit today to work, even though I wasn't feeling the best about myself because you showed up, I showed up. It's just those kind of things makes me feel like I'm actually making a difference and doing something. We've talked a lot about your individual liberation, your journey to full, all-encompassing authenticity. 
for you, what does successful mean? I think people often think success means it's like making money in it. And so did I. And being able to go to university or having a real job, living on my own, being independent, and then eventually finding love, being married. Those are all things that's successful. And then now more than just existing, but thriving also makes me feel like I'm successful. But when I think about it, sometimes I feel like I am not successful, even though I have so much things going for me when it comes to like financially, perhaps, or in my personal relationship. What I truly lack, I think, is support and true and genuine family relationship. And this is why in many ways I think I'm successful, but then I'm also not because I don't have that. That's just the truth. I've asked every single person I've met with in season one and now season two, whether they believe they were successful or not. And it seems as though the ongoing theme is, it depends on the day that you ask me. When I lost my job, for me, obviously, the me that wanted to survive thought about how am I going to make money? And now that I'm financially okay, now I'm thinking about how there are relationships that are suffering. And I wish it wasn't like that because at the end of the day, like if we don't have those connections and people around us to share those successes, what's the point of life? Yeah. Wow. Okay. So before we wrap up, I wanted to ask, do you believe that you're successful right now? You, you said that sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. I'm not just existing, but I am thriving and I'm opening spaces for other people like me, hopefully. And that makes me feel successful. I love that. I actually think that that's like a great place to end this conversation. I wanted to do a quick in and out with you. So very quickly, in or out, checking emails the moment you wake up. I mean, it's an end for me. Brand trips. and Being unapologetically yourself. Oh, definitely an end. Responding to online hate comments. Okay, so I have a video coming about this, but it's definitely an end for me because... I find that when I'm responding to these comments, I'm standing up for myself. And I'm also using that comment to educate people. Following or unfollowing. And the context here is, let's just say you're not vibing with someone, but you kind of know each other through a few degrees of separation. Do you follow or do you unfollow? Oh, no, unfollow because their social media is literally what you're digesting every day. And if you don't like somebody with their message, if they make you feel bad about themselves, unfollow baby. No, no, no. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that's it. So Jamie, thank you so much for chatting with us today. It was a really emotional conversation, but I appreciate all the vulnerability you showed up with. And I know that everyone listening probably got a lot out of our conversation. So thank you. Is there anything that you want to leave our listeners with before we wrap up? I just want to say that I know, especially for trans folks, it is hard out there. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm not going to say it's easy, but I will say that there's nothing more freeing than being yourself. I know for myself, I can breathe easier. I've never been happier in my life. So continue being yourself and just shine bright as the person as you are. Thank you so much for staying until the end of this powerful conversation with Jamie. 
Her vulnerability, candor, and strength is such an inspiration to me. Tune in next week where I'll be chatting with my idol who is a very famous interior designer. Any guesses? As always, this podcast is produced by Liz Goober and Victoria Christie and edited by Diego Domine. Until next time, keep blooming.